Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Motor City Realists. As long as the Lions keep winning, we will keep having episodes. Uh, it's your boy, Zach. However, you'll see my normal co-host is not here. He took all of his belly-up money, spent it on a vacation to Mexico. So uh, we got CJ, special guest CJ. CJ is actually my brother. He is filling in this week. Uh, CJ, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, as long as the Lions are winning. That's right. That's right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and... Uh, as the viewers know, Mike and I don't live in Michigan, but CJ resides on the, the west side of Michigan. So I got to ask, what is, is everybody, the general public, are they, everybody got a better vibe to them or what's, what's it like up there? Yeah. I mean, people at work, you know, you're surrounded by people who aren't sports fans everywhere you go. And people are talking about the Lions, even though they know very little about it. Um, I know a few people that actually have gone to the past two games and a lot of those people aren't normally fans, which is, it's cool to see. Obviously, you don't want to call them bandwagoners because they're rooting for your team, but it's cool to see um, <laughs> pretty much the whole state pulling for the team right now. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of jealous. That, that, that part, I mean, I don't miss uh, the cold weathers, obviously. And that's saying a lot with the good vibes because I know it's, there's been some harsh harsh weather going on up north. Uh, but down here in Florida, I was behind enemy lines this past week, and uh, I got a lot of stares at the local B-dubs, which is where I went to watch the game. But uh, I had a couple had a couple friends in there made some made some friends. I don't think we said, but 
probably let's go were probably the only words that we said to each other all game, but, uh, you know, made some tight bonds and that's, that was fun. So, uh, right off the bat, I got to ask you a question before we get into breaking down the Bucks game, looking forward to the NFC championship at this point, win or lose next week, is this season a success? I would say so. Yeah. Because after, uh, I talked to you and Mike at the end of last season, and obviously we ended last season on a high note. And going into this season, I ex- I expected us – I was optimistic. I was, I was expecting us to continue that high note. And I, my only real expectation was a playoff win because I expected us to win the division, get that home game, and then get that win no matter who we're playing. It's a wild card team. Um, so, yeah, this has exceeded my expectations to be in the semifinal because all year, you know, people are talking about the Niners, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. And we were mostly put number four behind. Some people would put us ahead of a few of those teams, but – I wasn't expecting us to be in the semifinal. I thought it was going to be two of those three teams. So I would say it's a success. You know, people use the phrase playing with house money. Um, I don't think we're at that level, though, because I think we're a legit we're a legit top four team, and that's where we're at, where we're at. So, yes, it's a success, but I'm not just going to be happy if we lose this game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would agree that it's a success. Um, I, I think I wanted to make the playoffs. And to be honest, that's kind of – just where I was at for this season to be a success. So I like that you were pushing it and you wanted to play off win. And obviously we got that. We got two of them um, both at home. So we still have yet to win that, that road game, but yeah, it's uh, i I'm right there with you. I think it's a, a success, but I also think that this is something that we have to build on next year. You know, I think it, it, it raises the stakes a little bit for next year. Obviously, you know, if we go ahead and we, we win this game, then repeating as a super bowl, uh, uh, contender is tough to do, but you still want to feel like a, you know, a competitive football team. So I, I, I granted a granted a success, but I think it raises the bar for next year. And now I have this question just popped in my head. So, and this is a bit of a, a tougher question for you to get to this point in the Holmes Campbell era. We often package those two guys together. They've done a great job building the culture, building the team. Yeah. If you had to pick one, who are you more impressed with? Who more impressed with? That is a great question because obviously they're both getting a lot of love right now. Mm-hmm. And I think na- I think nationally, uh, people still kind of view Campbell not as a joke like they did year one, mm-hmm. but he's not taken as seriously as the other three coaches, which is Harbaugh, Andy Reid, and Shanahan. Um, I obviously am not in that belief. Uh, but Holmes, I brought that up because Holmes is getting a lot more love nationally because of these rookies that are making an impact mm-hmm. and um, some of the signings. And I think I would have to – I love Dan Campbell, but I think I would have to lean Brad Holmes because Dan Campbell was a great coach from the very get-go. Even though he only won three games year one, that team was aggressive. They fought every week, and that's coaching. But to get where we're at now, which is a game away from the Super Bowl, I think that's more front office. And you look at Gibbs, Laporta, and Branch specifically, huge contributors in the first two playoff games, like some of our best players on the field, you know, including the veterans. So I would have to say more impressed with Brad Holmes in the whole front office. That's actually a really good point because I would have I would have answered Dan Campbell because, like you touched on, he was kind of by ha- at least half the media, if not more, seen as a joke when he when he had his press conferences and and whatnot when right. he was introduced. Um, so to flip that, I think is impressive, but you're right to, to 
to get these rookies that are performing at the level that they're performing is something that you have to do every year as a GM. Whereas Campbell just, he, he hit the nail on the head. On the, on the head, right? With these, like, I'm going to build this culture and he stuck to it. And I know you got to stick to that every year, but to hit in the draft every year seems way tougher. So yeah, I think you flipped me. I think I would agree. It's, it's more impressive for Brad Holmes, but uh, not, not that, you know, obviously we're not saying that it's not impressive what Dan Campbell's doing. I just, that was a tough question. It popped into my head. So I want to talk about it, but um, yeah, but also just to add on to that, like <laughs> if you think of all the contributors to this run right now, you got obviously you got Goff brought in by Holmes because that Stafford trade is just looking better and better by the day with all the picks that it brought in. So you bring in Goff, but then Laporte is a key contributor. St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, um, Gibbs and Montgomery, all those guys brought in by Holmes since he's been here. Panay Sewell brought in by Holmes. I'd say the best contributor on the offense that wasn't brought in by Holmes was Frank Ragnow. He was drafted by the previous GM. But then on defense, you got Hutchinson, which was just kind of an obvious draft pick. You pick him at number two. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Anzalone, I think was signed in 2021. So I think that was Holmes that signed him. And then Jack Campbell drafted this year. Melifanwu was drafted, I think in 2021 by Holmes, uh, Aleem McNeil on the interior D line. And then people don't have a lot of love for our corners right now, but Cam Sutton, I think a lot of workload has been put on him and he was brought in by Holmes this off season. So just every contributor outside of Frank Ragnow was brought in by Brad Holmes. And I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah. That, that is quite the list. Uh, I want to go back cause you touched on the, uh, the Stafford golf trade. And I, I think it, this is the epitome of how a trade is supposed to work. They got, they got Stafford and they had immediate success, right? So one team trades for immediate success. You get Stafford, you win a Super Bowl. Boom. That's what you wanted. Lions get Goff and all these picks. Obviously, their goal is to rebuild, and they've done it. Looking back, I'm not sure. You would have to give me another one, and we could debate it, but I think it'd be tough for somebody to give me a trade that worked out as it should. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that kind of most places online that people are speculating, is this the most even trade in the NFL maybe of all time? Because a lot of lopsided trades um, will – impact the team positively and then impact the other team negatively. Like mm-hmm. they took a huge loss on that. And like you said, this is kind of a win-win granted the Rams didn't continue that success after the Super Bowl, but McVay wanted that Super Bowl and he got it with the quarterback that he wanted. So yeah, I think this is a very even trade. And even if the Lions don't go to the Super Bowl this year, they're clearly going to be in competition for several years because we're one of the youngest teams in the NFL. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's gotta be one of the most even trades in NFL history. Yeah, and and just like to go because you see, especially I feel like we see it in the NBA a lot too, where people are talking about even trades, um, and they'll just compare stats side by side. But just the fact that like this one goes beyond that, like they both accom- accomplish not just the guys being even, but they both both the teams accomplished with the trade what they wanted to, and that that to me is I I don't think you just see that very often. Yeah, and I think just to add on to that is. I think objectively people can, especially after that Rams playoff game that we just had, I think you can see that Stafford is the more talented quarterback between him and Goff. And the Rams clearly just wanted to ditch Goff, get rid of the salary, Mm -hmm. whatever they could do. And the Lions kind of mastered uh, reinvigorating Goff, which a lot of NFL fans would have seen as probably a long shot. So, yeah, I think we can agree Stafford's a better quarterback, at least more talented. But golf kind of fits perfectly what this team was trying to do for these past three years. Yeah, yeah, and probably has grown more. 
yeah, Stafford's right. better, but but Goff has probably gotten better. Um, right. So yeah, okay. So moving into the uh, the Bucks game, obviously you watched it. Uh, biggest game of our lives that the Lions have ever played so far. Yep. Um, we got a bigger one coming up, obviously. But um, what was it about this game? At, just overall at a glance that impressed you? Um, this is probably going to be a unconventional answer, but I think you and I talked earlier in the season about how the Lions are a lot better when they take the ball first at the beginning of the game or mm-hmm. if the other team defers to them. And I actually was talking to a friend about that right before the Bucks game. They were like, do you think we win this game? And I said, I think if we get the ball first, if we take the ball first, we blow them out. I think this is going to look like the Broncos game earlier this year when we just won like 42 to 17. Um, Obviously we did get the ball first and that didn't happen. And so that's my answer is it impressed me that after we started a little slow, it was 10 to 10 at half. It impressed me that um, in the past, past 10, 15 years, we would have seen the Lions collapse after going in expecting a win and then starting slow, it's tied at half. But the Lions just, they kind of improved in the second half and the huge Gibbs run got the touchdown. Um, so I think that's what impressed me most was we look shaky in the first half. Fans are maybe a little nervous, but then second half, we just kind of put it on. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned getting the ball first because I've, I've harped on that all season. And I think it's been a key to our success as far as, um, Ben Johnson's game plan. It seems like, uh, and we, even in this game, we won the toss and chose the ball, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. so. So. Yeah, I think when that happened, I I, uh, I actually texted Mike and I was like, here we go, ball first is what we need. Uh, but right. like you said, I think we either go three and out or, or we punt. I can't remember if it was three and out, but we punt. Um, and the Bucks punt and then and then the offense is kind of get going a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Um, I got a little nervous because uh, another thing that I always say is it's tough to beat a team twice and. Um, obviously we beat the Bucks week six. Uh, we were at that game, both of us. Yep. And, um, I kind of thought we were on that trade again when it was three, three, I was like, here we go. We can hold the Bucks to only field goals. They only had two at the end of week six. Uh, but then as it started to get going, I was like, uh Oh, you know, tough to beat a team twice. And if this goes close, I don't feel good about our chances. Um, and like you said, it stayed tied. It was three, three and then 10, 10 at half, 17, 17 at the end of the third, uh, pull away in the fourth. I think it's a huge indicator of the character of the team. Um, yeah, I think yeah. when it was yeah. when it was 10 to 3, I think uh, I said something like, this is going a lot like when we played them in Tampa. When it was 10 to 3, I was like, could this end up being a similar score to 20 to 6? Um, yeah. And then what changed that was Baker's drive at the end of the first half made it 10 to 10. I did not see that drive coming. Um, so, yeah, that was – it was interesting. It was an interesting way to change the course of the game, I thought. Um, Derek Barnes. Yeah. I did not know when he intercepted. I would I, I would have put money down that he's had an interception before in his career. It flabbergasted me that that was the first of his career. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know he's never had an interception. Uh, but I do think, because he's another product of Holmes. He was in that first draft by Holmes. And I think uh, he was initially used as somewhat of a pass rusher. He's always been a linebacker, but I think he was kind of this like hybrid linebacker pass rusher, which a lot of teams use. And this season, he's just been purely a linebacker. So that that may be why he never had an interception. But yeah, to your point, I didn't I did not know that either. I think another uh, huge turning point it was the beginning of the game. Um, or no, yeah, earlier I said we punted and then they punted. We punted and then we got an interception. 
Um, I yes. thought that interception was huge. Yeah, uh, tipped because, ball, so, you know, tough, tough on Baker. But I think that was huge for our defense and our team. Yeah, did you – so that was C.J. Gardner-Johnson that caught the That's tip. right, yeah. And then I don't know if you were aware of his trash talk earlier in the week, or maybe it was the week before. Oh, what did he say? He said, uh, he said this Buccaneers group is a good group. Um, if they just oh, got a yeah. quarterback, yeah, if they just got a quarterback and they could be really good. <laughs> but then in that, in that, cause CJ's kind of, he's a big personality. So he talks yeah. a lot. And I think I sent something to you. I was just like, man, can this guy just not, can he stay yeah. quiet for a week? <laughs> cause you don't want to motivate the other team. But, uh, he mentioned a player that's not had like any snaps with the bucks this season. I don't know if he's on the team, but he, he didn't have any snaps. So then Baker shot back in a press conference and said, I think it was Russell Gage. He said Russell Gage yeah. has caught like two passes all season, so he's clearly not watching a lot of film. <laughs> but then CJ gets that pick, and I don't know if you noticed, but he tossed the ball to Baker Mayfield. After oh, the did he? Yeah, like he he it ran right by him. Me. Yeah, I thought it was it was perfect because Baker Mayfield had no option but to catch the ball, and then it's just awkward because they're right next to each other. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I do remember you sending me something. It was like a face palm moment. You're like, God, this is. Love your personality, but come on, man. We don't know yeah. what we want. Right. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting how the running backs kind of switched. First round, uh, Montgomery had the bigger game. This time, Gibbs had the bigger game. Um, yeah. Kind of speaks to the versatility of our backfield. Uh, and without getting ahead of ourselves too much, what 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 do you see going forward? Who, who you know, <clears throat> obviously we got a Niners game coming up, but let's say we go beyond that. Who do you think is the more important running back? I, I hate to pit these two guys against each other, but as far as making a yeah. run. Yeah, that's a good question because I've thought about this kind of all season. Obviously, last year we had Jamal and DeAndre Swift, both good running backs. Swift had a good year in Philly. But on, honestly, with following this season, I honestly think both of these guys we have now, Gibbs and Montgomery, were a one-for-one one upgrade from those two. I think Montgomery yeah. play, plays like Jamal, but I think he plays better. And then Gibbs, I just think, is more shifty than Swift. So going forward, uh, I do know Aaron Jones just had a huge game against the Niners, and he's a great running back. I, I think Gibbs has the potential to be more talented going forward. And I heard this number. Um, the Niners gave up nine carries to the outside against the Packers for 100-and-something yards, 104 yards, I think. Wow. And if – we think of who the outside running back is on our team. It's obviously Gibbs. Um, that's his move. So I would say this week it's Gibbs um, going forward. Do you mean just in these playoffs or do you mean going forward for years to come? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, let's, let's say going forward in years to come. Let's say. I would say, so Montgomery's on a three-year deal. Gibbs, I believe, is on the four-year rookie deal. I'd have to lean Gibbs just because I think he has so much potential. And like you said, yeah. it's difficult to – pit those guys up against each other when you're talking about this, but because they both contribute something that the other doesn't. Um, but Gibbs is like, he's like Swift. He's a lot like Swift. I think he's quicker. He's faster, but he's willing to lower the shoulder, which I think is huge. And Swift just not to say he was afraid of contact, but he just, that was kind of the big complaint the last yeah. two seasons. I would say is Swift wasn't willing to do that. So I would, I would lean Gibbs and it's not just because of the age thing, but that obviously contributes to it as well. But yeah, I'd have to say Gibbs. I think I would agree with you. He, I think he, to me, he's got Elvin Kamara potential. Uh, yeah. 
And I and we all heard about how shifty he was, but I, I'm just surprised at how elusive he is. He just seems like he's hard to tackle. Like even when guys, I feel like got him squared up. It's it's he'll he'll get more yards than you think he's going to get tackled for. Yeah, and that and impresses you, me. You remember how first several games of the season? I don't know when it really took off. I think honestly, the Baltimore game when we got blown out, Montgomery didn't play that game, so it was all Gibbs. That was the first game that we were like, okay, we can give this guy the ball a lot. But early in the season, I don't know if you remember, but a lot of NFL fans, fantasy football fans, were like, why is Gibbs not getting the ball? You know, I think he had under 10 carries for the first few games. But, yeah. I think that's that's for, like, looking back, I think that is for the reason that we have two running backs right now to make this run with. Like, you got – I was I was gonna bring this up probably five ten minutes ago that I, I can't believe neither of these guys have been hurt. I know, yeah, and uh, Montgomery obviously missed you know maybe one or two games. I think he left the Tampa game earlier in the season, but you're right, there was no extended injury time, and we we gotta consider ourselves pretty blessed that we have yeah. both these guys in the semifinal. Like 49ers are facing that Debo injury, and every team at this point in the season is susceptible to a problem like that. But the Lions are actually really healthy right now, which is it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, so two more, speaking of running backs, two more things we're going to talk about in the Bucks, and then we'll move on and we'll look forward to the NFC championship. The, uh, did you see that um, the fourth down run for Craig Reynolds, he was not supposed to be on the field. Did you hear about that? Was that the fourth down touchdown? Yeah. No, I did not hear about that. I was, uh, I was confused because I'm like, this is fourth down. So playoff game, we're going to our third string running back. Granted, I think he's a decent running back, especially for short yardage, but yeah, I did not know why he was on the field. Yeah. So apparently, uh, uh, Amon Ra does that podcast with his uh, brother, uh, Equinemius on the Brown or on the Bears, um, yep. and, they, and he was talking about it this week. How they sent in, they got it mixed, the personnel mixed up, and they sent in the wrong personnel. And and uh, St. Brown went on motion on that play, and he said he caught uh, the white cleats out of the corner of his eye in the backfield, and he was like to himself while he was in motion, was like Jameer and and uh, Monty don't wear white cleats <laughs> and then and then craig reynolds hit the hole like like nobody was gonna stop him like he's yeah he was scoring yeah. that touchdown you could tell he wanted it really bad yeah so he's yeah so he said he was just making the most of his his opportunity because i yeah he wasn't supposed to be on the field which i thought was interesting uh don't especially you think, on fourth down don't you think obviously it's different for a player's mindset competitor on the field but don't you think craig reynolds was even like this is fourth and goal and they're putting me out here. <laughs> don't you think he'd be thinking about that? Yeah, I don't know. And and like, if if you don't know that he's not supposed to be on the field, you're like, oh, this is just classic Dan Campbell tactics. Like, nobody thinks you're going to yeah. run the ball. If it's Craig yeah. Reynolds back there. That's funny. Uh, and then other another question that people were talking about, and I think people were making more of a fuss about it than they should have, but was uh, uh, Todd Bowles not using his timeout at the end of the game? Do, do you yeah. did, did that confuse you at all? It confused me in the moment. Oh, but really? I was also I was also confused at why Jared Goff was kneeling so quick because he wasn't running time off the clock. Yeah. And he was just trying to get under the 40 seconds and then he knelt it so he didn't have to run another play. But the Bucks could have called timeout and they didn't. Which, yeah. So you know, Bull says why prolong the, the inevitable, but I'm like, it's a playoff game. If you have a chance, take it. Right. So you know, I think you know that I'm really big into clock management. Like I pay yeah. really close attention to that in every game that I watch. And it's I'm I'm not shocked, but I'm impressed that you noticed that while the game was happening because I did not notice that until you know I was on social media after the game and I was like, oh wow, I didn't even because 
clock management, if you ever play Madden, you know, get to 40 seconds and then either if you're going to run the ball, run the ball or, or QB kneel. So that's what Jared Goff did. He, he needed it right at 39 seconds, I think. Yeah. And yeah, when the game was happening live, I did not even notice that. But then obviously noticed a mistake online later. And I, honestly, I don't completely disagree with Todd Bowles' defense of it. But at the same time, it is a playoff game. You should you should do everything you possibly can yeah. to give yourself a chance. So, yeah, he was like they they were going to kick a field goal, but like, you know, like you block that field goal and return it. And right, like, right. I mean, we saw yeah, we saw the Michigan Michigan State game with the block punt. Like, yeah, I mean, Alabama yeah. Auburn, like they put a second back on the clock yeah. for that, and it, like so yeah. you never know. Exactly. Like, yeah, so that to me was that was wild. Um, the only and honestly, when I saw it in real time. I saw Goff take the knee and it goes to fourth down and I see the little light underneath that says they still have one timeout. And I thought maybe it was a scoreboard bug. I was like, maybe they don't actually have a timeout. It just wasn't updated. So I didn't know, but I was, yeah, I was reading about it afterwards and that was crazy to me. But um, is there anything else you want to touch on in the Bucks game? Otherwise we can. Uh... Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it going forward here, but I just want to point out, I mean, you and you and Mike talked about it on the last episode, the, wide receivers that have been killing us lately, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. it's been pointed out online a lot, wide receiver ones. So if you have a guy like Justin Jefferson, one of the best receivers in the league, he absolutely killed us in week uh, 18. And then Puka did in the wild card. He had, he set the rookie record. And then Mike Evans this week, I, I just wanted to bring up Mike Evans. Cause yeah. I don't know how many catches he had, but he had like 150 yards in a touchdown. I mean, I, I, I understand why we're, uh, why that's happening because I've kind of read about our defense a little bit so it's not surprising per se but yeah I just wanted to point out Mike Evans another wide receiver one going off against us and that San Francisco's wide receiver one might not even play this game so yeah perfect segue because yeah yeah you said that you said he was 50 50 and I saw today that it was still up in the air uh yeah. Debo's Debo's uh status so we got that game coming up um what are you looking for? I'm I'm, I'm going to give you a question because you brought it up earlier. Um, got this thing that popped up on my screen. I don't know what's going on. Uh, runs to the outside, which I, I hadn't heard about this. So this was news to yeah. me. Do you think we'll see some sweeps, whether it's St. Brown or Williams? Do you think that gets incorporated into the game a little bit to, to, to attack that? Yeah, that's a good question because I feel like um... – and it's worth noting with that question that I think Khalif Raymond is still out, I believe. I don't because he's mm-hmm. been hurt since week 18. I don't know if he's still out. I assume he is. He wasn't even dressed last week, uh, but he's another sweep guy. That's why I bring that up. Um, yeah, I feel like we haven't seen a big sweep play like that with any of our receivers in a few weeks. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, I would like to see a Jamison Williams play like that, especially specifically him because he scored on a play like that against the Saints this year and it was run perfectly. And yeah. as intimidating as this Niners defense is and has been for past four or five years, they are um, susceptible to the run. And like I mentioned, specifically to the outside. So, yeah, I could see Ben Johnson dialing something up, and I, I would prefer to see Jamison Williams because I feel like that could be have some big play potential. Yeah, I think I would almost rather see, because I was thinking before this episode that we might try to ex- – Ben Johnson always likes to throw in a couple screens. I feel like a game he'll either try St. Brown or, or Raymond or um, when he's healthy or uh, Williams. But now that you mentioned the runs to the outside, I feel like we might see a little bit more jet sweeps instead of the instead of the screen. So I guess that's one thing we can keep our our eye out. Um, and, and another question 
uh, before we get into the guts of the matchup is with this new signing. We got Zach Ertz on the on the roster. Um, Brock Wright injured, correct? Oh, is he? He he caught a pass in uh, the Bucks game. Yeah, I, I'd heard when I was reading about the signing, I'd heard Brock Wright was injured. They weren't sure if he was going to play or not, so maybe I'll have to I'll have to do some research on that. But I, I thought gotcha. that's why we went out and got Ertz. Do you? I feel like he could randomly have like a a eleven yard touchdown or something. Do you see him making an impact? Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. The only reason I'd be hesitant to say that is because he just signed like yesterday, I think, or maybe uh, Monday. So that's really recent. It's hard to get acclimated to the game plan. But obviously, it's do or die right now. Like we're not thinking about the week after. We're thinking about this week. So I think he'll definitely see the field um, to catch a pass, especially in the end zone would be awesome for a new guy like that. And just speculating, the other tight end, James Mitchell, uh, he's number 82, he is also hurt. So if Brock Wright's hurt, that means we literally are only have Laporta. So that might also explain the signing. Um, yeah, and we know Laporta's already a little bit banged up. Right. So our best blocking tight end, if it's just Ertz and Laporta, would be Laporta. He's a bigger guy. And Ertz is kind of more known for being a receiving tight end. But I could definitely see them doing two tight ends, you know, in the red zone, like you said, and Obviously, everyone's watching Laporta, so Ertz could be a good decoy, or Laporta could be a good decoy. Go to Ertz. I can yeah. definitely see that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I was, I was shocked by that signing. I wouldn't say that the shining, the the signing shocks me, but I was a little surprised to see it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I had heard that he got released. You know, he wanted to play for a contender, but yeah, I would have been less shocked if it would have happened like right after Laporta's injury against the Vikings. Yeah. Because we didn't even know if he was going to play, that right. that would have made more sense. Not that it doesn't make sense now, but you're right; it is pretty last minute. So going into this game now, um, obviously we touched on earlier. It's, this one's a, our first road game of this postseason, um, and we haven't back to back to Lions history. We haven't won one of these, I think, since 1957 or whatever. Um, going to San Francisco, what? Well, let's start here. Uh, who's who's more of the pressure on offense or defense? I would – my instinct is to say defense just because offense the past two years is – I mean, they've carried the team more or less. Um, that being said, if the offense comes out flat and it's golf is shaky, then it's like what is going on? We've done so well the past several weeks. But in terms of more pressure, I would definitely say defense because Aaron Glenn has kind of had pressure on him most of the back half of the season just because one week we can't stop a team like the Chargers and then we go to Dallas and we actually can stop that defense. So the defense has been so up and down. I would definitely say defense, um, especially considering what the Packers uh, did to Brock Purdy last week. It's like, why can't we duplicate that? Because the Packers defense was not anything special this season. Um so, yeah, I would definitely say defense and more specifically Aaron Glenn. I was actually going to say to you, I think this game all depends on Aaron Glenn and then, as usual, Jared Goff, those two guys. Yeah, um, you've mentioned the Packers game a couple times now, and this that, that game actually gives me more hope than I probably would have. I was surprised to see that the Niners were favored by seven points going into this game yeah. because I, you know, I don't – I didn't think the Packers game should have been close. Uh Right. Obviously, Packers got better as the season went on, but I think we're a better team than Green Bay. Um, Thanksgiving didn't go our way, but you know, I, I think that we can give San Francisco a bigger fight than than Green Bay can. And like you said, I think that comes down to defense. I think our our defense is is better than theirs. 
Um, and with their number one wide receiver kind of being on the fence, that's our biggest weakness on defense. I think all the stars are aligning there. Um, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high, right. uh, but but yeah, we've seen uh, we've seen Baker, um, and now we've got we've got Brock Purdy. I don't know. I I've, now I think about it. I don't know who's. I would say Brock Purdy's probably a little bit better than Baker, but who knows? I mean, I don't I don't know. What, what would you say? Yeah, actually, I actually wanted to ask you about this. Um, so I would say off the top of my head, that, uh, it's such a tough thing to answer. Oh, is, but... is, is Stafford the best quarterback that we, we would have faced so far? Yeah. I mean, so I was until thinking Super about, Bowl. Yeah, so I was thinking about this during the Rams game. All season, I would say the best three quarterbacks we've faced in no particular order, but I would say Mahomes, week one, obviously. And not and I'm not saying the way that they played against us, just best quarterback. I'd say Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and then Stafford. People can disagree on that, but after watching Stafford the way he played against us, I thought he was lights out in that game. He was Yeah. After after the first quarter, I was like, this guy's not gonna make a mistake. So we gotta figure something out. But yeah, so those are the three best. And then that makes me think of Brock Purdy, because I don't think Purdy is on those three guys' level. But then obviously the discourse around Purdy is he's thrown to Kittle, he's thrown to Debo, he's thrown to Ayuk, and he's got the best running back in the league behind him. And that's what elevates him. Yeah. Um, can we rattle Purdy? I certainly think so. Because um, between him and Mayfield, I think I would lean Purdy's better. Because the thing people talk about and the thing that's hard to see when you're watching the game is Purdy's so good at processing. And I think that's what makes great quarterbacks great, like Mahomes. Mahomes can do all the athletic stuff, but his processing is insane. That's why – and, like, on the inverse of Mahomes, Josh Allen, I don't think his processing is impeccable. Um, but then that's what made like CJ Stroud so good right off the bat is I think his processing is crazy. And then that's what makes Purdy Purdy. And that's why a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo didn't work as well as Brock Purdy in this San Francisco system. So I would probably lean Purdy over Mayfield, which makes this matchup all the more intimidating. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes down to offensive line too. I mean, you, when you, when you come up with a, a strong offensive line, you've got time to process, uh, right. I think that helps. You know, it'd be interesting to see what happens if you throw <laughs> Purdy behind a different offensive line and just see how he reacts to certain situations. But um, what are you uh, – so, so we're putting pressure on the defense. Um, we think they got to come up big. I know it got – I haven't checked the forecast at all. It got rainy in that Packers game, and I think that kind of kept the score yeah. down a little bit. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Um, but – Instead yeah. of focusing on offense or defense specifically, is there is there anything about this game? Yeah, I know you already mentioned Aaron Glenn, but anything that you're you're looking for? I think it's you know it might be a cliche answer, but I think it's Jared Goff, and obviously he was on our side on the Lions side. He was the story for the Rams game. Obviously, we mm-hmm. were paying attention to Stafford, but it's like Goff's going against his old coach, his old team. How's he going to do? And he came out first three drives, touchdowns, twenty one points on the first three drives that's impressive when that happened i was just like okay golf's locked in and usually you can tell golf's locked in in the first few drives i i think and um this week is special again i don't know how many people are aware of this but i actually looked this up this week he's from california obviously everyone knows that but he's actually from just north of san francisco i think he grew up within a drive's distance of the stadium 
So he, he even said after the last game against the Bucks, this is kind of a homecoming. He's going to have some family at the game. And so Goff is, again, the story. I think we can lean on the run, especially because a lot of the throws over the middle won't be as accessible this week because they have probably the best linebacker duo in the league. So we'll lean on the running backs a little bit. But then what can Ben Johnson do to unlock Goff having another great game like he did against the Rams? So I would say Jared Goff is what I'm focusing on. Yeah, that's that's an interesting um, – and that that's what makes me nervous is the linebackers because you talked about Goff getting locked in. You can tell when he's locked in. And I get that way too. I feel like when he's making um, semi-deep to deep throws over the middle early on and they're on the money, then then he's he's good. He's locked in. I think yeah. his confidence gets sh- shooken if he's throwing those over the middle and and you know they're intercepted or they're tipped or or, or whatever linebackers are getting their hands on them. And yeah. so now as as we go through this conversation, I'm feeling like the plan on offense has to be to stretch those linebackers by like you said running outside. You, if you if you keep stretching them left and right, you know you spread them out a little bit, and then I think maybe those middle throws open up. So. Yeah, I think I'm looking to see. I'm very curious what Ben Johnson's game plan is going to be. Um, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the season that I think these offenses are not necessarily structured similarly, but I think they run similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as uh, just the way you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna sit down and watch a uh, Patrick Mahomes offense with, with these two with these two offenses. I just think they're more they're more methodical and they they like to more system like to, oriented. Yeah, yeah, they like to get the defense moving one way, and then they'll shift the other way, type of deal. Right. So um, I, I'm looking at Ben Johnson. I want to see. I'm very curious what his game plan is going to be. Um, and I, and if I, things I, don't, if things don't work early on, like let's say we run Montgomery in the middle, and he's getting yeah. one yard, two yards. How how quickly do we move on from that, or do we kind of stay stubborn with it, like you know we see yeah. teams do all the time? So yeah, Ben Johnson's a good one. His play calling will be key in this game. I'm also praying that this game doesn't come down to a kick. You know, yeah. I have, I feel like you never want it to come down to a kick, but especially, I just don't know. I don't know how much, I don't know how much faith we have in our, our kicking. Well, room. his, uh, so Michael Badgley, our kicker, who we signed pretty late in the season, he had a huge, I don't know if you and Mike talked about it, but he had a huge kick against the Rams, 54 yard field goal, which, and that was second half. And that was, um, that's what put us at 24 points, which ended yeah. up being the game-winning field goal. And that was his career high. And that was – granted, that was in a dome. That was at home. That's different. But you're right. I don't – I think if it does come down to a kick, like we're driving, we're down by one, two, or three points. Dan Campbell obviously likes to go for it on fourth down. And maybe he'll be kind of thinking with the house money mentality and think, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to go for it on this fourth down. We're going to get into the end zone. So I hope it doesn't come down to a kick either. But I'd be curious to see what happens if it does. With Dan yeah, gosh, yeah, I would definitely have to bring my diapers for that. <laughs> so, all right, prediction time. Now we're Motor City realists. So, what is what is your realistic final score for this game? Okay, I've been thinking about this. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been thinking about my rationale or anything, but here's my thinking. So, I think it. Yeah, I think it was announced we're playing. We're wearing the all-white uniforms. Okay. Okay. I think that's officially confirmed. Okay. And we went seven and zero in the blueberries, including the playoffs. We wore them both playoff games. We went seven okay. and zero all season in those. Okay. And the I blueberries. believe. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I heard Jared Goff call them the blueberries. So. <laughs> um, 
I believe I could have this record wrong. I think we were four and one in the all whites. Maybe it's three and one. And that's including the chiefs game week one. Okay. And, but I think it's also including the Ravens game. I think we were all white. Could be wrong about that. And the Ravens game, obviously that was the worst game of the season for us. Um, but we're wearing the all whites this week. I'm a little superstitious about the uniforms now at this point. So I'm putting that into consideration. And then I'm thinking, I don't mean to make my answer too long here, but then I'm thinking uh, the four biggest games we've played in all season, if you think about stakes and whatnot, and this is no particular order, the Chiefs game week one, huge game. We're opening up the NFL season, playing the defending Super Bowl champions. Mahomes has never lost at home or never lost in week one. Um, We beat them. It wasn't a pretty game, but we won that game. Um, And then the next biggest regular season game was the Cowboys game because that was late in the season, playing for seeding. And that I'm, I still have a sick feeling in my stomach from that game because of the ref mistake. But I believe yeah. that we won that game, essentially. Yeah. Okay. And if we didn't win, we at least played this very high contender really close. Okay. Yeah. And then the next two biggest games were the playoff games. So that's home for the Rams, home for the Bucks, And the theme across all those games, to me, is Goff was criticized in L.A. for making the one Jared Goff mistake per game. A stupid interception or a stupid fumble whatever it was. And he's had his fair share of those in Detroit as well. But in those four games, I think the theme is Goff did not make that mistake. And Chiefs game, this is also important to note, the Chiefs game and the Dallas game were on the road in two very tough stadiums to play. Yep. Well, this week we play on the road against one of the teams that's the class of the league, not an easy place to play. So I'm putting that into consideration for my prediction as well. Because I acknowledge the spread is seven points. Niners are big favorites, which is warranted. They're a loaded team. They've been in this game four times in the past five years. Kyle Shanahan's desperate to get to the Super Bowl again. That being said, I'm thinking I, – I I also want to say I won't be surprised by any outcome in this game. No outcome will surprise me. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> but I'm going to go – I'm going to go 27 – to 23 lions oh dude, you, that was that was literally gonna be mine you said 27 23 yeah oh man okay i'm, I'm not even gonna change mine because that, that's impressive i was also gonna say 27 23 lions um i think we get to 27 because we try to go for two somewhere along the line it doesn't work so that's, that's yeah. why i think we're at 27 yeah um and, and I don't, Niners. I don't think it'll be a pretty win either. Like we're, it's gonna, we're gonna be nervous all game. It won't be yeah. a game we have in hand. Yeah, I think so too. Um, all right, so we're both on twenty-seven, twenty-three. That's for, that's literally first time that's ever happened in MCR history. So twenty-seven, twenty-three. I will cry tears of joy if that ends up being the final score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll probably cry tears of joy if our number is higher than their number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But it's funny you mentioned the uh, – because I didn't think about this until you said it. The Chiefs and the, the Cowboys, both away games, and I think they both yeah. were uh, 21 to 20. Um, oh, yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, we I'm won the Chiefs one twenty-one twenty, but we lost the, the Cowboys one twenty-one twenty because we were going for two. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that score, but I think you're right about that. I think, yeah, I don't know. Maybe somebody will fact-check me. It might, have been, it, might have been, it might have been 20 to 19 now that I think about it. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. All right, so that wraps it up. Unless you got anything more you want to say about this upcoming matchup, nothing specifically. I'm just, 
Maybe I should get over this feeling by now because he's played so well, but I'm nervous for Goff in all these big games because he's our guy. I want to defend him. But when he makes the stereotypical Goff mistakes like he's done in his career a few mm-hmm. times, I just feel so bad for the guy, especially now that he's a Lion. And I just – I guess I just hope that if we do end up losing and it's a close game, I hope there's no um, ounce of blame on Goff. Like, I, ho- I just hope he plays well. Yeah, I kind of want him guy. to get – I kind of want him to get back to the Super Bowl just so he can throw a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl because I know he didn't do that the last time he was there. Yeah, worth noting too, I think – I don't know how long the streak is. I think it dates back to the 90s or the early 2000s. But there's that famous streak that's brought up every year pretty much that when a quarterback loses a Super Bowl, especially a young guy, um, he has failed to return throughout his career. Yeah. So guys um, that are active still that are on that list are Joe Burrow, hasn't made it back. Obviously, Jalen Hurts last year, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. But then Jared Goff is also on that list. And like I said, I think the streak is like over 25 years old. I don't remember the last guy to make it back after they lost. Yeah. But that would be awesome for him as well, just to make yeah. it back. Yeah, I have heard that. I, don't, I also don't remember how long it is. But, um, yeah, that would be sweet if he's the one that, that breaks that curse. Oh, also just a few other things I saw I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Uh, only three quarterbacks. I saw this online somewhere. Only three quarterbacks have won 14 or more games uh, in a season for multiple franchises. So that's including the playoffs because right now the Lions are 14 and 5. And it's Tom Brady, Patriots, Bucks, Peyton Manning, Colts, Broncos, and now Jared Goff, Rams. Line. Wow. And that's quite the list of you. <laughs> that is nuts. Yeah. And then the other number I saw was the Lions um, – I know the defense has been shaky, but only team in the league to not give up more than 70 rushing yards to a single rusher. So think of the running backs we faced, like B. John Robinson, uh, Tony Pollard on the Cowboys. No running back, including playoffs, has gotten over 70 yards. McCaffrey uh, was over 70 yards 12 times this season. Oh, man. some Yeah, some push comes to shove. Something's got to give there. Yeah, I believe the Lions have the second best run defense in the league. Yeah, I knew I knew we were like top top three run defenses. I had no idea that we did not allow a rusher of seventy yards yet. That's actually kind of nuts. Yeah, it's I think it's an impressive stat. Only team in yeah. the league. Yeah, that yeah, that is nuts. Um all right, before we get out of here, uh let's do a little round table. So uh any topic that you want to talk about. Do you have any what's what's the latest on uh I know you're watching it all day, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, so it was just announced a little after 7 o'clock. I think Adam Schefter was the first to report. He officially accepted the L.A. Chargers job. So he'll be Justin Herbert's coach next season. Wow, okay. So, yeah, he was. I know we were back and forth uh, all day about uh, – I did not hear that, though. So, okay, so he takes the Chargers job. I know, like, Michigan was counteroffering him. Any word on if he's taken anybody with him yet? Do we know that yet? Uh, it was speculated earlier in the week, maybe late last week, that Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, would follow him, which um, is kind of the – I thought it was, as a Michigan fan, I thought it was inevitable that Harbor, Harbaugh was going to be gone. I was expecting him to go to the NFL. Obviously, I was a little pessimistic in that belief. But I think the bigger blow, given that I was assuming Harbaugh would be gone, is Jesse Minter leaving because the Michigan defense this year was historic. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. And um, – and then I think also his son, Jay Harbaugh, I don't know what he coaches at Michigan, but he's an assistant coach. He is also going to follow, which is as expected, obviously. So how does that, how does that I mean, our viewers know that I'm, I'm a, I'm a Spartan guy. I'm like a Buckeye guy. So you, for those of you uh, who are listening, the uh, CJ is a Wolverines fan. So how, what's your outlook now? I mean, it's 
to me as as an outside looking in, Saban's gone, Harbaugh's gone. I've seen rumors about. Uh, I know you probably watched Ron Moore, but I've seen rumors about uh, Brian Kelly possibly yeah. being a, a candidate. What's what's your outlook on Michigan football, real quickly going forward? So here's my thought process. Really good recruiting class coming in. We've never, while we had Harbaugh, never really been near the top. So it's not like a top three or top five class, but it's a good class with a really good quarterback coming in. And my outlook on the team is I think the mistake they made in 2007 when Lloyd Carr left was they did an outside hire. It was Rich Rod, who was a hot name at the time. Um, I think that was a mistake, was doing an outside hire, especially at a program like Michigan. And the model I'd actually look to is Ohio State because Urban Meyer was so successful at Ohio State, lost very few games, um, one of the best runs. And then when he leaves, I thought that was unexpected. I don't know about Mike, but I was I was shocked by that. Ryan Day takes over. Ryan Day was an assistant under Urban Meyer. I think that's the best move Ohio State could have made and obviously proved well because they've competed the past few years. So I would say – I would definitely say no to Brian Kelly. I'm, I'm just not personally a Brian Kelly fan. I thought you I might, the, yeah. I think the outside hire is a mistake. I know it's a big name, so that's good for the program. But I think Michigan benefited this year, actually, from Harbaugh's suspension because Sharon Moore coached, uh, I want to say, three games, maybe four games. Well, two of them were by coached by other assistants. Oh, okay. They kind of okay. handed it off. But I think he coached a total of four, including Penn State and Ohio State wins, which were big wins. Yeah. Um, I'm all in favor of keep uh, going with Sharon Moore, especially because the recruits will know him. I've heard he's a good recruiter. So then maybe you – because obviously when a coach leaves, you expect to lose recruits, so that's inevitable. But if you keep Sharon Moore, maybe you get to retain uh, more of those recruits. All right, well, there you have it. That's the outlook on the uh, Michigan Wolverines from uh, Superfan CJ. Uh, no Red Wings – update this week because uh it's nfc championship week so it's all about the lions and if they get that win we will get you guys a super bowl episode uh coming up so before we anything else that you want to get off your chest cj before we send it off uh just want to say whoever you're watching with you're watching with fellow lions fans don't let them get too down on themselves or the team if this game doesn't go our way because this has been a season of a lifetime, certainly for us. We've never seen yes. a season this good. Yes. And you just don't want to take it for granted because, as we know, in the NFL, it's hard to get back. So it's not guaranteed we'll be back in the NFC Championship next year. Hopefully we do. But I just want to say don't take the season for granted. It's been awesome. Yeah, especially, like, don't let it ruin the run that we've had. Uh, like CJ right. kind of alluded to, you know, a lot of these games have probably tugged at our heartstrings because a lot of us have waited our whole lives. Some of us have, have waited – like the guy in the stands, he's been a season ticket holder for 66 years and they can't stop showing that guy. Uh, you know, obviously <laughs> we all love it. So yeah. So if we get, if we get down, um, that's, that's a good point. Uh, but all the same, let's go lions. Let's get that W. Yep. This is let's a go. big game, biggest game franchise history. As far as I'm concerned. Yep. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you tuned into a live show, we appreciate it. If you're listening on the podcast, we also appreciate that. Uh, you know, Tell your friends. They can come be realists realist with us, too. It doesn't cost you a thing. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we appreciate CJ for dropping in this week. Thanks, CJ. Uh, if Absolutely. we have a Super Bowl episode, maybe you could join us for that, too. Uh, All right. So, yeah. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, we appreciate it. And everybody have a safe weekend. And, obviously, enjoy the game. Go Lions. Go Lions.